Ever wanted to invest in the next Facebook, Oracle, Tesla, Cisco, but thought they were out of reach? Ever wanted to invest alongside Peter Thiel, Mark Zuckerberg, or even Elon Musk? Dan Bennett, managing partner of Our Crowd Australia, joins me, and he gets down and dirty explaining both crowd and equity funding. Our Crowd is democratising an asset class and making it easy for investors to put small amounts of money into high potential tech startups all over the world. They do all the due diligence, ensure that you have the term sheets, pitch decks, a deep understanding of the company, understand the tech and the team, and then you can follow our crowd into companies that they believe will be the next big thing. Sound a bit far-fetched or a little bit of hype? Ba-bow. Wrong. They've raised over $1.6 billion from investors globally, and they've had numerous exits of gigantic scale in their six years of existence. Anyway, don't let me convince you. Have a listen to Dan Bennett as he explains this space and what your investment portfolio could look like if you wanted to back deep, game-changing technology. Enjoy our interview. Dan Bennett, Managing Partner, Our Crowd, Investment Committee Member, Our Innovation Fund, Welcome to Discipline. Nice to see you, Tony. Now, I always ask when I start an interview, when you were a young boy, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> it's a very funny question and a fun one to reminisce about. Um, it's funny because I used to want to be a manager, and I'm not sure what I wanted to be a manager of, but the standard answer, my brother's um, seven years older than me, and he wanted to be a rock star, so I'm assuming... Back in the day, you were I wanted to be a music, a music manager. I'm not sure I'm quite in that domain. We've moved a little bit away from that, but we do get to deal with some pretty cool people. It's funny as management of people is actually not my favorite thing to do. I think it's amazing to help um, grow people to achieve their full potential. Um, but the idea of managing a team of hundreds of people is probably not my bag. Um, what about entrepreneurial when you were young? Did you do anything like a, a paper run or washing cars or mowing lawns? So I had um, very diligent Jewish parents who their idea of entrepreneurialism, at least you know their academic version of entrepreneurialism, was making sure I spent as many hours as possible studying. Right. So um, we oscillated between uh, between um, swimming sessions and, and studying, uh, which doesn't sound all that um, glamorous, um, but I don't regret anything because I guess it brought me to where I am now. And that answers the next question. Uh, what kind of student were you? Uh, a dreamer, a jock, or by the sounds of things, pretty diligent? Yeah, I, it's... I think I really, you know, rolled up my socks in the last couple of years of school. Before that, I was I was probably having a bit more fun and and uh, probably chasing girls around more than I was <laughs> more than I was studying. Um, but I, I always there were certain subjects I really enjoyed. I love I loved looking and understanding businesses, and I always loved history and science. I, I feel like you know our whole life is spent unraveling the mysteries. Um, of, of humanity um, philosophically and, and science and it's probably again you know why the technology space is so interesting because it's this beautiful intersection of human beings and, and yep. in the executive teams um, and, and science uh, you know people trying to solve um, you know problems that face face human beings um, and hopefully you know meaningful ones that, that have a great impact now when you've Finished at university, you've gone and been a good lawyer for a couple of years at a place I know quite well, Minter Ellison. Um, 
what about the law? What about the law interest you? Did you like? Did you like any aspects of practicing it? What's funny is you 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 um, you run through your law degree and you think by the end of it you're you're ready to be a lawyer and on day one you sort of arrive. <laughs> you know, open-eyed and bright-eyed and ready to go and you realise you absolutely have no idea what you're doing and you can't even really draft an email because no one teaches you in school how to actually true. Yeah. draft or, or prepare or um, really um, a mastery of language. So um, entry into uh, the law firm was incredible because I think it taught you to slow down. Um, but yeah, the, the opportunity to understand how to communicate with people through word more effectively is yeah. really powerful yeah. um but but law firms for me um although an unbelievable discipline i realized pretty quickly that i wanted to be more connected with the um company more connected with the um whatever mission or drive they were trying to achieve rather than being a service provider yeah i always thought same sort of thing you know mm-hmm. uh, by the time the deal or the structure had got to the lawyer, all the fun stuff had been done. Mm. You were just putting the words on the page to give efficacy to the fun stuff. I was a bit like you, always wanted to be a step further earlier on. That enabled, you know, why is the deal being done? What's Where's the money being made? What's the interest here? For sure. Yeah. But, but, but the beauty of it is you do learn to understand risk in a different way. And I think that that is a super invaluable lesson to evaluate what are the key pain points and you just incorporate it into your way of thinking now without realizing. And and my my clients today um, that, you know, we help invest in technology companies, I'd like to think that in some small way that ability to be a bit more conservative and disciplined has contributed to our success Um, here in Australia. Yeah. I'm certain it has. You've crossed out of the law firm into the energy sector. Is this the first time you'd really been in a business, seeing how it all operated? What did what did that experience teach you? So I learned a lot at Infogen because the you know precursor to Infogen was Babcock and Brown. Um, so I saw the rise of a phenomenal business, a phenomenal story, um, phenomenal share price, phenomenal share price up to thirty eight dollars, and then. Watching it go back to single cent digits um, was was a very hard lesson, but I think an incredible lesson for a young practitioner um, to learn, which is things can go in both directions. Corporate governance is important. Um, management is important. Your investors are important. The way you communicate to public markets is important. Yeah. So you know, a huge amount of understanding for for me to pick up at a at a young age. Um, but working in the renewable energy sector was rock and roll. I mean, I loved it. It, it taught me about mission-driven careers. So I really still very um, um, passionately believe in the renewable energy mission and story. Being involved in an, in an area and in an industry that means something to you made me realize, wow, you know, work can really fuse into your day-to-day life in a seamless way. And all of a sudden you can love doing um, what you do professionally as much as you'd love seeing friends or going on a holiday. So you've gone as a lawyer then to London and you got into uh, venture capital. Was this a, a deliberate move or something that just evolved? So I, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a believer in, you know, leaning into the 
force of the universe to some extent and i just feel like it will so often point you in the in the right direction and falling into venture was totally serendipitous so my the renewable energy sort of experience led me into the uk i, I had someone there um, that was on their babcock and brown team that was heading up a, a business focusing on that area and the UK had some really attractive tax concessions for those investing in renewable energy projects. And it just so happened that the same concessions were available to technology companies. Right. So next thing I knew, I went from being, you know, a renewable energy practitioner into, you know, dipping my toe into the tech space. But yeah, the UK was an incredible experience. Yeah. Um, Lots bit of, of a responsibility. Rite of passage. You yeah. get to see, you know, how big the world is and, and how, um, you know, what... I think the UK were probably a few years ahead of us in their cycle around technology. Yep. A lot of the tax concessions brought in in the UK to attract investors were then rolled out by the Turnbull government about four or five, four years after, five years after, modelled on the UK to some extent um, on, the, on the tax rebates and the capital gains tax status under ESIC in, the, in Australia. So getting front row seat to how that worked in the uk i think was super helpful for when i then decided to come back here so you've landed in our crowd so how did this happen you've, you've gone from venture capital and ostensibly stayed in venture capital because our crowd is a is a type of a fund but it's it was a startup in its own right when you got involved so talk to me about this uh, this opportunity yeah absolutely so it really addressed a personal pain point that I was experiencing when I was in the UK. So I'd already started making angel investments into early stage businesses. So helping young startups get up and running by, you know, helping them with their first round of funding as an investor and then contributing where I could to helping them grow their business. Um, so I saw a pain point and I saw that, you could only get into the deals which were in your orbit. So if you had a friend or a work colleague that somehow got themselves access into these opportunities, you could elbow your way into these into these deals. Yeah. And that's that's great, that's exciting, but you know what was being missed out on was this broader range of leading tech companies which the Sequoias and the Andreessen Horowitzes and all the big US funds Raylock and all Yeah, those we're all investing in all the companies that Samsung or GE or all the, you know, you know, um, large multinational companies were investing in. Um, and I said, hey, that's, that's kind of not fair. Like, how do I get access into those deals in a sophisticated way where I can still put, you know, a reasonable amount of money that moves the needle, but I'm not going to be able to invest half a million or a quarter of a million dollars myself. Um, but I can write a smaller check and band together with others in a syndication way and syndication model and get into those deals. So I understood the pain point already that our crowd were looking to address. And I spoke to our global chairman who was, I mean, talk about serendipity, our global chairman, Jeff Levy, who's based here in Australia, who's um, an amazingly respected Australian business person. Um, Came out of, did some work with Investec. And, yeah, CEO yeah. at Investec. Um, he's on the board of a number of public companies, including Cromwell Property Group and Rebel Sport back in the day and Barbecues Galore and others. And I just called him up. I'd been in the UK for three or four years. I was missing the beach. I was missing Bondi. I needed, I needed my yoga and I needed my beach back. Um, so I called up Jeff and I knew Jeff from actually, um, I was uh, a maths tutor to his 
to his family. So he's got four lovely kids and I tutored three of them in high school maths when I was at university. So talk about a, you know, really esoteric uh, link. And I, but I always kept in touch with Jeff and he was a really generous mentor with his time. Amazing gentleman that, you know, wants to really help the next generation of business people achieve their, their best and, and has been an amazing mentor for me in teaching me about that as much as, you know, achieving success in business directly and personally. Um, and I said, hey, what do you got for me? Um, I'm thinking about moving back to Oz. If I find a great role in the UK or in Hong Kong, I might go there. And he said, well, you know, we just started this little thing called Our Crowd and, you know, we've raised about 20 or 30 million bucks and we're disrupting, you know, the venture space. And it might be something you like, why don't you go and catch up with the CEO in Israel? He's a really amazing guy. So I thought, okay, cool, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And he said, but you do know it's a startup. This, this isn't the UK. So you're not going to earn a heck of a lot of money and you're going to work your tail off. And I said, all right, sign, you know, sign me up if all goes well with John. So I went, went over to meet our founder and CEO, John, who was the most incredible visionary. And I could just see what the next, you know, five or 10 years looked like for the business and the rest is history. Right. Okay. Um, so for those who aren't, aware of the space or understand sort of what the space might be and they've heard of things like Kickstarter and it's sometimes a bit of a confused space and our crowd sits alone in this space as a different business model. Maybe just give the uh, the listeners a bit of a sense of the space and what our crowd in particular focuses on. Sure. So in a sense, there's a number of forms of crowdfunding, but, you know, the two more relevant versions worth mentioning here is reward-based crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding. So reward-based crowdfunding, which is the Kickstarters and the Indiegogos and these, you know, incredible platforms that help causes or businesses raise money, but they raise money in a different way to what we do. So for example, you could be, you know, a lot of those I'm running for charity i'd like to you know raise 20 grand for the marathon in a way that's crowdfunding for reward and the reward is that the money goes to a charity and everyone you know has an impact on that charity another version of reward um you know based crowdfunding you know the kickstarter version is someone comes up with a really interesting consumer product um and you know what what those platforms are saying is you're not going to be an investor in the business but you're going to contribute money to a company that you think is interesting and they'll give you an early version of the product. So you feel an ownership in a sense, like a a connection to the business such that you get an early version of the product Um, and then you help the dreams of that founder in establishing that particular business come true and then they can go off and raise money in traditional venture capital or, or other forms and hopefully go off and be successful. Both of those are super, super important. Um, What equity crowdfunding does is say, okay, um, rather than going out and raising money from an investment bank or a traditional VC group, we're going to go to an equity crowdfunding platform and say, we need to raise a couple of million bucks. Here's, you know, our information on our business. You can put that up onto the platform and then we allow our investors, we have 35,000 members who are able to have a look through a menu of companies that are available for them to invest in. So they, rather than going in a fund, which would be 
a mixed portfolio out of their control, they're able to pick individual deals and companies and businesses and CEOs that resonate with them and a meaningful mission that they want to invest yeah. in that they're able to get involved in. So they, they can pick companies that have an alignment to their values or their core beliefs or where they think the, the next big thing's coming from. Exactly. So I, I guess the small nuance for us versus other equity crowdfunding platforms, others are generally bit of a caveat emptor here's a, a a whole shopping list of potentially hundreds of companies you can invest in in different categories but there's no due diligence run on those companies um, by the platform our approach is a little different we want to help our investors better understand the deal and we want to know from our point of view that it's got legs and is you know worth investing in so we go out as a platform and do um, both the deal sourcing due diligence and then provide all those materials to our investors. So we'll look at about 3,000 deals a year. Yep, it's a lot. A lot of, a lot of companies are a big team um, looking across Israel, North America, Asia, Australia. And we'll identify out of those 3,000 or so deals, 10, 15, 20 a year that we think are high quality and worth investing in. We'll make our due diligence materials available in a far more, you know, consumable format for our investors to look at. So an information memorandum, term sheet, term sheet yep. videos, a webinar where the CEO talks yep. about the company. Brilliant. So deep information if for those that want it. And then they're able to evaluate, hey, is that a company that I'd like to be an investor in? Yep. And the real beautiful part of it is that from $10,000, you know, per investor, they're able to invest in this company. So we're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for the individual investor because we go out and take a two or five or $10 million check and then allow it to be fractionalized so the individual investor can take a really small holding in that company. So you're investing alongside these investors or slash like a form of underwriting the, the, the full round for this company? Yeah, so we're always investing our own money in every deal. That's yeah. super fundamental. So 5% of every company is that we're investing in is our capital. Um, so, yeah, we're very close with the business. We'll sometimes spend six months, a year, even longer, getting to know the management team before we pull the trigger and, and say, okay, this is going up on the platform. So we're a pretty tough crowd. You know, the quality of deals that we're investing in, you know, you're getting to invest alongside Bill Gates or Eric Schmidt, you know, ex-chairman yep. of Google or Peter Thiel or Elon Musk, all the biggest VC funds in the Valley that supported the Oracles and the Intels and the Airbnbs and all the biggest yep. tech companies in the world. So we're really democratizing access into yeah. the asset class, changing the paradigm from this is an asset class for the big funds and the biggest family offices in the world yeah. to this is an asset class that just about everyone or a much broader range of investors can access. So there'll be no excuse for someone to come along down the track and say, oh, Twitter, I wish I could have got in that earlier or I wish I could have got in it at all. Uh, you know, pre-IPO. Well, that's here's the opportunity. Know. Totally, and that's what we're helping people with. <laughs> now, um, so okay, so you built this brand name, Our Crowd. Um, you got a reputation. Um, one of the things you've got to you've got to do is go out and start getting money when you've got this startup, Our Crowd. How do you go out from transactional lawyer 
to into VC, and then now you're going out and telling people about a new startup and give us some money to invest in it. Or here's a company, we've done DD, who is our crowd, but give us some money to invest in it. How were those early days? The early days were uh, were very different to recent times. So we're coming up to six years now that I've been involved in the business. So I opened up the office here in Australia, um, working up into Asia. So I still spend um, three or four days a month up in, up in um, Hong Kong or Southern China. Um, so I think the lesson I learned, which is valid for any startup, any, any new proposition is find your anchor customers, your real believers and, and leverage them because they believe in what you're doing and they'll want to help. I think I was super fortunate, um, at the start to have some incredible people around me who were kind enough to connect me with people that trusted them and their, um, and their, um, view on life and, and respected their significant experience in the space and the quality of their judgment. So that was extremely powerful building out from, you know, a small circle. And I think referrals rule the world. I think trusted referrals as, as we get drowned in optionality and we're getting drowned by retargeting on all social media apps and on, you know, advertisements, we're, we're starting to get, it's, it's really tough. So the name, the name of any business today, my personal view is, is around trust. Um, so for me, that was twofold. It was utilizing, you know, the people around me that believed in me and were kind enough to connect me with people that trusted them. Um, but the big one as well was showing a real empathy and understanding for the huge um, responsibility it is to take people's money. And, yep. and I never take that for granted. I understand how significant and hard it is for people to earn that money. I've had to earn it myself, you know, building my own my own life for myself. I respect that that money would otherwise, particularly with large families, you know, go to the um, kids and be and its inheritance. So any money that I'm being, you know, given by any family or, or high net wealth individual is money that would, in a sense, go to their kids. And people have an intimate relationship with money. It represents energy. It represents time and effort. So to me, awareness around that, I think, has really helped um, in the relationship I have with my with my um, clients. And my clients are friends now. So we're investing together. We're having a laugh together. Yeah. We're hopefully impacting in a small way and changing the world together. And those three things are super powerful. But the fact that... Um, I think they can see in the whites of my eyes just how seriously I take the responsibility of taking their money and the responsibility of earning it um, has contributed to our success. So we, we've raised out of my team here in Australia, we've raised about 20 to 25% of what we've raised globally. So we've just hit um, committed capital of $1.7 billion. That's extraordinary in six years. Yeah, it's starting to get some serious, some ser- very you know significant... Um, numbers we've invested in almost 200 companies we've we've invested in so you're saying just rough numbers here there's about 450 million dollars from australia i mean it would be fair to say that anyone who says that there's no money for the uh, you know for startups and the the ecosystem from australia has missed the point then I think there's definitely money there for the for good companies, the right companies with high quality management teams. So for us, 
I'd say 80% of our due diligence is on the experience and ability to execute yep. of that executive team and CEO and founding team. So we're big on people and backing founders. So for the right companies, I think capital's there, particularly in a market where we're almost in a zero interest rate environment. No one can get them, find themselves yield anywhere. So the proposition of, of VC and some of our funds, which are currently tracking in the mid 20% IRRs and some of the funds where associated with have higher than 30% um, IRRs that they've been you know, delivering over 15 years of multiple rounds of funding they've raised for two or three separate funds. So that's pretty hard to compete with when we're at, you know, three quarters of a percent, you know, RBA yeah, rate. it looks a lot better than sticking it in a savings account yeah. or a bond. Yeah, that's for sure. There's no yield at all. Yeah, so so for us, I, there's definitely capital there. I think, you know, if you look at Australia, um, over a billion and a half was raised into the VC um, funds, so a lot of superannuation capital going into Australian VC. So for us, that's very complementary. We're much more focused on global, so we complement our friends um, and fund managers here in Australia by providing them with that access into the US and Israel and yeah. and Asia. And and we've delivered some great exits. So it's great to raise lots of capital, but people, it's kind of show me the show me the money. Again, it's about delivering those exits. So the Beyond Meats um, and and the uh, 33, 32 M&A transactions for our portfolio companies that we've had. So companies bought out by Samsung and Nike and, um, you know, other large significant names, Intel and, and Oracle um, and Snapchat. So that's, that's what we want to do is I mean, deliver that return. The returns and the exits um, for the, our crowd portfolio have been unbelievable but if i'm an investor one of the things i might be thinking is you know what about liquidity when i put money into uh, the stock exchange i've got a an instant market to get my cash back in some well you know 48 hours later um, with these particular businesses you're waiting for a an exit event or a liquidity event to to get a return do you have a time horizon for a lot of these businesses? Do you, you sort of say anything longer than 10 years is too long? What's that uh, look like? Yeah. So I'm sure your, you know, your community, Tony, would, would some would be more familiar than others sort of with, with, with venture. Uh, really from a portfolio management point of view, if you're old-fashioned like me, you know, you're really splitting it up, your money up in your investable funds into various buckets, um, you know, things which are one bucket of about a third is very liquid. So, you know, you've got very quick access like cash or bonds. You know, another bucket will be, um, you know, your your public equities. Um, and this venture stuff, venture pool really fits into your alternatives bucket, which is yeah. the remaining 10% when you look through those other three pools of more significant capital. Um, and your alternatives bucket would include hedge funds, private equity funds, property funds, property trusts, and venture capital. Yeah. So venture will and be... My, and my little bit of Bitcoin on the side. And your little bit of Bitcoin <laughs> on the side. God bless Bitcoin. Um, that, you could do another, we could do another hour on Bitcoin. Um, so, so the alternatives bucket and, and, you know, VC will probably contribute to really no more than, you know, 5% of that. If you're like me and you're really into it, you can do more. Um, but generally for, for those trying to stick to those rules, and then you'll have multiple managers within that 5%. 
10%. And that reflects the fact that that capital is going to be tied up for a longer period, but that then is intended to help you deliver a more attractive return. So like everything, the slightly riskier and the longer it's going to take will deliver a, a better return. And venture is at the riskier end of the scale. This is not your kid's college fund as as the americans say this is you know capital that is a bit more flexible um should be invested in a broad portfolio so you know we certainly don't encourage people looking at our platform picking one or two deals investing and riding off into the sunset and waiting for an exit the idea is to build a portfolio of 10 or 15 of these or 20 of these companies or two or three of our funds, which would help you then in each fund invest in 15, 20 companies so you can get 50 plus um, exposures to different businesses. And you've got a a fund that looks like a medical fund, a cannabis fund or, you know, AI fund. What's the spread of different funds now? Yeah, so we've almost got 20 funds. Um, You know, right now we've got a ETF version of a fund which will invest you in 50 of our companies, so very broadly diversified um, you've got a um, fund focused on cannabis, as you mentioned, out of the U.S., associated with the most respected cannabis accelerator program in, in, in the U.S. based in Colorado. So multiple funds available, U.S. focused, Aussie focused, um, 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 Israeli focused funds, earlier stage, later stage. So we want to provide people with very um, broad categories and, and, and diversification. That's the name of this of this game and the reward is the you know more significant returns you know a good solid portfolio can return three four five times even plus if you get a bit lucky on your on your capital but of course if you get unlucky and you mistime it then you know the returns can be less significant so it's about building portfolios in a responsible way looking at different categories so doing some cyber some software as a service businesses some agritech some healthcare some ai some machine vision you know going broad into various categories so if a single category doesn't deliver you're not only in cryptocurrency and you know crypto doesn't perform so it's important to go broad Um, but that patient capital you know will deliver good returns and some of our investors are you know very happy with that with that patient approach and israel america asia i mean these have got some fantastic ecosystems for tech and innovation but why those areas are not somewhere like France or Belgium? What, what's the particular attraction to, to these places? So France, I mean, for me, I, I'd prefer to be drinking a good Bordeaux when I'm in <laughs> France. Um, but uh, I think, look, we, we look at innovation as a global phenomenon. So our business proposition is let's find technology wherever it lay. And I'm a real believer in that. A lot of VC funds are very concentrated in a single geography and that's what they know and there's a, a benefit to that because they become true specialists in that geography but we believe you can build specialty um, functions in various geographies and then you can leverage your deep relationships to find access into other geographies yeah. where you partner with the best in that geography um, and that's what we've done for example in a company called Zoom Car which is based in India which is like a kind of like the 
car next door or yep. or Zipcar of of India, Sequoia backed, Ford backed, Mahindra backed, really rock and roll business that allows you to borrow a car for the day. You don't then need to go out and buy a via ve- own a vehicle, and you also don't need to rely on Uber if you you know want to be driving yourself. And we partnered with you know, Sequoia, which were, you know, well established in India and some other partners in India we knew well. So for me, VC is definitely a global game. Um, But Israel and the US, there's a huge amount of um, data on on why they've been able to be successful. I think you'll find in certain deep tech focused um, 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 jurisdictions for technology, whether we like it or not, there's a lot of know-how coming out of the military. So machine vision, AI, cybersecurity, both, you know, air, um, anything around um, aeronautics, aircraft, um, drones, whether we like it or not, you know, the military is a huge, a huge player yeah. there. And and both the US and Israel, um, whether... <laughs> Politically, you believe um, you know military should be so well funded. If we put that to one side, it is driving a lot of innovation because yeah. it's life or death. Yeah. And life or death situations, um, you know, if you're in Israel, you're in a pretty unfriendly neighbourhood. Um, it's life or death. So um, it's a needs based outcome, and they need to make sure that no one can cyber attack their nuclear you know energy stations or whatever else is critical infrastructure same for the us same for other parts parts of the world so yeah i think that that's the reason or one of the reasons and and whether again you know conscription i mean thank god in our country we don't need to have that approach but the, you know when i was 18 19 i was running around chasing girls and and probably over drinking um, if you're in a country with conscription, when you're 18, 19, you're running around, you know, trying to understand warfare, not just combat, but also understanding intelligence units and cyber protection and a whole bunch of um, cutting, state of the cutting edge, state of the art stuff that we don't need to. And what that also produces, even if you're a combat soldier, is you're a 21 year old and you're an officer and you've got a um in your um you know in your care in your command you might have 20 or 30 19 year olds that it's life or death and you've got their lives in your hands so the responsibility at a young age and the understanding of what risk means and the understanding of assembling a team is very different to you know dan bennett running around unsw you know with a beer in his hand yeah so with our crowd, what what stage of business are you looking at? Really early on, well established, millions of dollars of revenues, hundreds of thousands, or is it a horses for courses type approach? Just looking for really good businesses with big upside and good founders. Yeah, so we're looking for great founders and that we believe we can establish an aligned vision and aligned mission with, and that we think we can add value to. Um, so in terms of which you know, categories will pretty much do anything deep science related, anything that we think, you know, can have a big market dynamic and that can grow quickly. Um, you know, when we're looking at a business, we're going to look at founders, how big the market, you know, can eventually be. We're going to have a look at their ramp. So what does their revenue ramp look like or the adoption ramp look like? So we're always looking for doubling year on year or greater, ideally. Um, we're looking for, um, if you think of a freeway, 
we're always trying to think of what is going to be in the fast lane. Because if you're in that fast lane in any of the companies, you know, all boats, you know, rise as tides rise. So for us, it's also picking the right thematic that we think is early in the cycle and yeah. backing, you know, the right founders in that in that thematic. So yeah. none of us are Nostradamus. So you're looking at big macro trends as well in parallel. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Okay. Um, and look, there's a lot of relationship built between Actually, this is where our investors get really interesting because my investors are CEOs of publicly listed companies. They run, or you know, the patriarchs, matriarchs of the largest family offices in the country, and we've got the same sorts of people globally. So, what's extremely valuable is when we're evaluating companies, we've always got these families and hugely, you know, expert. Um, um, CEOs and, and, and people in publicly listed companies that we can go to and say, hey, this technology might be disruptive or might be complementary to what you're doing. What do you think? So we can actually run out and get access to the very people that these businesses want to have access to. And if that particular you know, CEO, domain expert, families looks at it and says, um, we might throw half a million bucks in that, thanks. That's a very strong lead indicator to us you know, from a DD point of view, that this business is onto something. And um, sort of you're building that own self-serving ecosystem then to some respects. Do founders get much support from our crowd outside of, um, you know, just the help bringing in money? Absolutely. So we've got a portfolio management team of almost 20 now. Our business is 160 people. Um, I want to flip it on to the other side companies coming to you saying um, I want our crowd to help us raise money in that situation is that how it works someone who is potentially looking for VC but thinks you're a better kind of fit uh, they would approach you and say I've got a good business I've got some technology I want to work together so the way we're winning winning market share is by hopefully being nice investors and helpful investors and you know some vc funds have mixed love from um, ceos and founders and we want to try to change that and be seen as a trusted partner and someone that they can lean on and almost use us like part of their internal team to drive value and you you touched you know earlier on us adding value in a biz development context and and that's super important for us those 20 people we have in that team are utilizing a broad range of our relationships so we have 200 plus multinational corporates as part of our um, corporate partnerships program so when we have the right startup we'll be showcasing them um, those startups to those multinationals and saying are you aware of this company it could be useful for you to be close to part of invest in acquire at least utilize so for us establishing those deep relationships bridging those two worlds is what we want to be known as so for companies for for founders when they come and meet us we we want them to be aware of that that we're going to be put to work and we really want to help them um but we're a pretty tough crowd you know the numbers we were talking about you're saying three thousand with only 30 making the the cut i mean that's a a huge uh, rate of attrition absolutely and 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 for us it needs to fit within a sweet spot so we 
welcome and love hearing from founders. And if it's even not the right fit for us, um, or we don't think we're going to be able to add value, we'd love to connect founders with people that might be the right fit. You know, we want to be good corporate citizens in the VC space and help people where we can. Um, but absolutely, we're um, looking for some of those key milestones to be hit as described earlier around revenue or ramp or growth or just the right market that they're dynamic that they're attacking what about other things i mean you say deep tech so i assume proprietary intellectual properties part of the the makeup of a company that you're looking for as well yeah absolutely and and we'll run all the due diligence on that and look at patents and sort of protection that they've in the moat they've been able to establish around around their business but it is a bit of an art form. Obviously, we've got some more formal structured ways of evaluating deals, but there's still a little bit of magic with the right CEO in the right business. Um, and, and the magic lightning can strike twice. We love serial entrepreneurs. We love backing founders that have been successful and have had a great exit and are coming back again. Um, and we've got you know over a dozen, I'd say, of our, of our companies that fit that um, that category. But uh, yeah, it's just spending time with the founder and, and seeing that we can add value and that they're going to do something great. I, I think for me, when I meet, when I meet founders, I think there's, there's a bit of a gut feel to it and the best investors definitely have. Obviously, there's a huge amount of work to be done by analysts making sure deals make sense. But there is, there is a little bit of magic to, to the, yeah. right, the right founders. Yeah. And for us, in terms of stage of investing, which you mentioned earlier, we're more of a Series A, Series B investor. For those less familiar with, with venture capital, the chronology is normally you know, an angel round, which is friends and family coming along for the ride because at that stage... Don't forget fools. <laughs> friends, families and fools. Only fools if it doesn't work, my friend. <laughs> if, if it works, those, the people that aren't investing will, will feel like they are fools. Um, so that first stage, you know, because you're you've, you're really a, only an idea on a on a slideshow. Yeah. The people that know you and understand your capabilities will be the only ones that would back you. It's pretty hard to get outsiders. You then might run a little seed round, which is your next round where you can grow out that um, um, radius to maybe some professional investors, some high net wealth, some angel investors that are comfortable to back you and you might have some early traction or a couple of clients, a couple of dollars coming in. Yeah, a couple of bucks coming in. And then you've got your series A and B and C and all the way through to pre-IPO and IPO. And that series A is when you have been able to evidence that there's a real market fit here, that there's a real business that can be established here and you're getting closer towards the business being more of an execution play than a technology risk play. And I suppose as a, as a postmark, I mean, it's changing and it's dynamic and it, and it means different things to different VCs. But, you know, traditionally speaking, we're talking about a million dollars worth of annual revenue, the great proportion of which is recurring and, and comes in every month. Yeah, I think I think a million dollars is a nice is a nice is a nice number. I think it depends on um, the proposition because some of our companies we've raised um, at significant valuations at significant levels and they're not yet they haven't yet switched on the revenue tap 
for us, that's okay in certain circumstances. I think we're, yeah. we, we like revenue as an indicator of adoption. But in certain circumstances when you're, where you're just really trying, you know, Trojan horse approach, let's build out a huge user base and eventually, yeah. you know, there'll be the capacity to switch on revenue. Um, that, that makes sense in certain circumstances as well. So there's no hard and fast rule for us. It's on a, it's horses for courses, yeah. as you described earlier. Quick fire round. Okay. Who is your favourite comedian? Jerry Seinfeld. Tennis player. I love Pat Rafter, but he's not playing anymore. I'm not sure that uh, really you, counts. You can count Pat. Yeah, we'll, we'll he's our it. he's our Pat. Yeah, I love him. Solid guy. Better party, Sydney, Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs> well, since since there is no partying in Sydney, <laughs> Sydney's a health retreat. I love it. I love going to Israel and and London and Hong Kong and having fun with friends and getting a bit silly and and, and coming back to my you know sunrise. Wake up, jog on Bondi. Yoga, it sounds like as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, that too. Um, favourite band? But favourite band, I mean, I love Coldplay. I can't go past Coldplay. Favourite artist? Uh, favourite artist, um, I do love Liechtenstein. Let's go with him. Okay. Uh, most memorable smell? These are tricky. I love it. It's, uh, it's, it's. I'll tell you what I hadn't smelt in a while and I smelt recently was a, uh, a, a one of my very good friend's kids was playing with Play-Doh. Oh, yeah. And that was a spin-out. That's uh, It really does take yeah, you back. Yeah, when you open the lid and you go, it's sort of like a petrochemical kind <laughs> of thing. <laughs> well, it was a wallpaper remover originally. Was it really? Yeah, that was its purpose. Right, so it definitely was a petrochemical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who is the person, dead or alive, you would most like to have lunch with? Uh, Gandhi. Uh, what trends in technology are you personally interested in at the moment? There's a few that I'm um, watching very, very closely. I mean, artificial intelligence and, and machine vision um, has been one that, and the interface between the two in the automotive space has been one that I'm personally very significantly invested in and, and pretty excited about. I think driverless vehicles is a little further out than um, originally originally thought. I think there's a, a little bit of regulation that needs to be sorted out by, by, by governments. But I just think that the capabilities in that space is far beyond what we could even fathom. So one of our really interesting companies that I'm a personal investor in as well utilizes very intelligent machine vision to review radiological scans. So you go out and get your MRI or your, or your CT scan and at the moment you're waiting potentially days for a um, radiologist to review that. This technology uses a repository of hundreds of thousands of images and has taught itself to identify any problems in scans for up to 50 different potential diseases. I mean, this is, you, you must be absolutely blown away by the stuff you see. I mean, that's extraordinary. Yeah, we're solving some incredible you know, problems. A lot of people are really nervous about automation and robotics and what does that mean for population. And, of course, you know, with driverless cars, about a quarter of a billion people in the world um, earn an income, earn a living um, through driving. Um, so, yes, there'll be significant displacement. I think it'll take a lot longer than people are expecting. But what, what that frees up is humanity to really just harness all of our collective know-how into solving problems. Yeah. 
What advice would you give anyone wanting to start a business? It's going to be a damn hard slog, but it's going to be exceptionally rewarding. So you definitely want to be thinking about getting involved in a, in a mission, in a space that means something to you. I think you need to bounce up out of bed in the morning and be, be able to remind yourself why you're doing this. Yep. And if it's purely financially related, forget about it. Forget about it. Yep. I, I don't think it's going to be fulfilling and you're not going to get the joy and satisfaction out of it that all human beings crave and seek. So a mission that is meaningful that you can get yourself behind because not only are you going to be more satisfied by it, but you're going to be able to sell it way more effectively because human beings can really feel when something is authentic. That sincerity is what I think is gonna help those founders be successful. And what's next for Dan Bennett? I love what I'm doing. I, I feel so blessed. Um, I mean, it's an overused term, you know, feel feeling grateful for my life, but I feel so fortunate that I get to meet incredible entrepreneurs that are wanting to change the world and help connect them into these amazing families and investors that want to contribute to and be part of that journey. So the interface of that just makes me believe anything is possible. So I bounce up out of bed every day. So that's I, you. I that's that's me. And look, it's not always rainbows and, and, <laughs> and, uh, and yellow brick roads. There's challenges along the way and all startups are a roller coaster. One day you think we've got this nailed and oh my God, how did we get here? This is unbelievable. And literally 24 hours later, you can you know, spin on a dime and lose your you know, biggest partner or, or government regulates. Or government regulates and all of a sudden that company is struggling. So it is a roller coaster. It's not for the faint hearted, but the, the upsides are phenomenal. And I, I love being a part of this ecosystem. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you very much for your time, your insights, and uh, thank you for being on Discipline. Tony, you're a legend. Loved it.